Let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter number 2. We've been uh, in this book of Colossians now for several weeks on Sunday mornings and considering some of the truths that are presented here. And I've been just encouraged by our study within here and, and my personal study, just digging into this book and it's been encouraging to me. Just a little bit of background here before we read the text in case you maybe have forgotten. Paul is writing this um, as someone, he's writing to a church, the church at Colossae, but it's a church that he has never personally visited. He's never been there and never had the opportunity to meet these people face to face. He's only heard of them through mutual friends. The brethren had told them or told him of how the Lord had worked among these people and, and what was going on in that place. And, and Paul, obviously, is one with a desire to see people saved and growing in the Lord, uh, writes to them to encourage them and admonish them uh, to, to remain faithful to the Lord and to continue growing. And there's some great uh, doctrinal depth within this book as well as some just very uh, real practical application. And it's just been very, very rich. So let's... Um, Let's, if you're there at Colossians 2, let's stand together uh, as we read the scriptures. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 and read on down through verse 10. All right, so Colossians 2, verse 1, Paul says here, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them of La or at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts may be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words." For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, that is in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. I want to go back to verse number 7, and notice these words, rooted and built up in him. That is the title of the message this morning, Rooted and Built Up in Him. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Paul introduces this chapter really just kind of bearing his heart to this church and to these believers. He says at the beginning, Therefore I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. As I read that, I think of a uh, a parent maybe looking at their child and saying, I wish that you uh, knew 
uh, how, how much I uh, care or how much I labor or how much I sacrifice so that you can prosper, right? So that you can have the things that you need. I wish you knew uh, how much time I invest in making sure that your needs are being met. I wish you knew uh, how much I desire for you to do well. That's really what, what Paul is saying. I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. If you remember, last week we talked about the fact that Paul actually spoke of, spe of suffering on behalf of God's people uh, that they might uh, prosper spiritually, that they may flourish. And he says, this is my desire, that you would know these things. And then as we read in verse number 4, he says, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And then verse 8, he says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And so what is he saying here? Well, he's saying, listen, I'm rejoicing in what God has done in your lives. I'm, I'm rejoicing in, in, in the things that the Lord is doing. He said that in verse 5, uh, though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. I'm just thankful to hear the testimony of what God has done in you, that he's brought you to salvation that he has given you understanding of spiritual things, that you've got a testimony of faithfulness to the Lord, but I'm writing to you with some heaviness and some uh, burden because I'm aware that there is a possibility that someone could come along someday and deceive you by their enticing words and cause you to go out of the way that God has you in. Uh, he, he's writing as one who is concerned uh, that they are uh, for their spiritual well-being. In 3 John, in verse 4, uh, John there says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And if you are uh, uh, someone who cares about God's people as you ought to, and certainly a spiritual leader uh, like Paul here, I, I, this is something that he would desire for them. I want to know that the people that I have invested in and poured myself into are walking in truth. I don't know that there's any greater uh, um, sorrow than that of seeing people that we love, people that we have invested in, who've kind of gone out of the way, who, who have made some uh, uh, poor decisions in life and, and maybe have become what, what the Bible would call a castaway. Obviously not cast away from God. They haven't lost their salvation if they're a child of God, but we've all seen them. We've known them. People who've just made shipwreck of their lives. They were doing so good and somewhere along the way, they swerved, they, they changed, and, and, and it's like the devil got a hold of them, and they became deceived about some things. And boy, that is a burden. It's something that, uh, that if, if you love people, you don't want to see that. And so Paul here is writing with this, this in mind. I, I'm rejoicing in what God has done, but I also want to warn you that there are those who are out there seeking your destruction. In fact, if we were to back up even just to the previous chapter in verse 23, notice he says these words, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached uh, to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. He, he again is just reminding them, I, I don't want you to move away. I don't want you to be shaken. I don't want your faith to be 
uh, uh, distorted. I don't want you to get off into some false doctrine somewhere. And that's why he uses that word in verse number 8, beware. Uh, be aware of this, that there are those who are seeking your destruction. Do you realize that um, one of the major themes of the Bible, especially the New Testament, is that there are false teachers and false prophets and false philosophies out there that are contrary to God and His Word and to the truth that are seeking to destroy you. That is a major issue that we see throughout the New Testament. Warnings and admonishment to say, hey, you need to remain faithful to the Lord. Stay in the Word of God. Stay true because any one of us is susceptible to deception and, and destruction ultimately. If we're not careful, the book of Jude, for instance, is a book that deals with apostasy and false teaching in the last days. And one of the last things that Jude says as he closes out his book is keep yourselves in the love of God. I mean, you, you need to make sure that you're staying close with the Lord because you don't want to get caught up in this mess that's out there in the world. Would you agree with me this morning that, that this world is a very confused uh, place to be? And because it is so confused, I mean, pe people are so confused. I'm not saying this uh, even tongue-in-cheek this morning. I'm not saying this to be unkind to anyone. But think about this. Who would have thought that we would come to a place in our world where people didn't know the basic difference between a man and a woman? Think about that. And I understand that that's a, that, that's a social issue that people talk about, maybe even joke about. But I just want to say, to me, that's just evidence of how messed up our thinking is in this world. That people would even say that there's no distinction, there's no difference between a man and a woman. How quickly have we... Uh, people are just so deceived, so confused. I, I, I'm saddened to see the destruction and the downfall... Of, of the family and the home. It's amazing the number of homes that have been broken and divided by divorce and separation and unfaithfulness and, 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 and there's been this blending and I understand that there are some blended families even probably among us this morning and, and, and I just want you to know that God is merciful and gracious and I'm thankful that the Lord can work in those situations but you have to agree with me that we have messed it up. The way that God designed it was one man and one woman would be married for a lifetime. That they would have children together and raise those children in their home where mom and dad are both present and walking with the Lord and leading their home. And that is something that's almost totally forgotten in our nation. And it's not just our nation. You know that my family spent the majority of, of a year, about 11, a little over 11 months in Liberia, West Africa. And there... It, it, it's, so, it's gone so far beyond even what we see around us that, that the concept of, of two people who are married, you know, legitimately, truly married to one another, not you know, not, and, and having their children, only their children together, that, that's a totally foreign concept. We were there almost a full year. We met with literally hundreds of people, and I don't know that I met one Liberian family that was a husband and wife that had children that only belonged to the two of them that were married and living together in the same house, raising their children. I don't think I met one. 
Their concept of the home and the family is just so distorted that when they say that person over there, they're my brother or they're my father, they're not talking about bloodline. I mean, they're not talking about bloodline ever. They're talking about relationship. You know, this person has, is like a brother to me. This person is like a father to me. But, but many of them don't even know who their brothers and sisters are. Many of them don't know who their father is or even their mother. It, sometimes they're raised by their neighbors. and things. I mean, it's just a mess. It is a mess, folks. Why is that? Because the world is a confused place. We've got all these different religions. I mean, there are people out there that are Muslim. There are people out there that, are, uh, that, that, that follow Hinduism. There are Buddhists. I mean, there are you know, the major world religions. And then there's Christianity. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Do you realize that the majority of what calls itself Christian is anything but? It's not a biblically grounded understanding of, of, of God and who he is. There's so much confusion. There's hundreds of different denominations within Christianity. There are all kinds of people now who've abandoned organized religion and they're following after other philosophies of the world to the point where people ask the question, is there even a God? And how did we get here? And what is being taught in our, in our schools and, and in society? This idea that we just evolved from nothing. And, and, and there was no design. There was no intentionality. There was no purpose. You're just a, a, a random chance that you happen to be here. In fact, relativism tells us maybe you don't even really exist. Maybe this is all just an illusion. You know, you think you're here, but how do you really know? I mean, would you agree with me that the world is a messed up place of, full of confusion? But I want you to know that you and I are not totally immune from deception. We are susceptible as anyone else to be confused, to be deceived, to be removed from our foundation and our grounding in truth. And so Paul is writing to these people and he's saying to them, listen, I desire for you that you would continue steadfast, that you would be rooted and built up in the Lord, that you would be grounded. Boy, I, I just want to say to you that I have no greater desire for you, for this church, than to be the, the fulfillment of this desire right here. That, that, that we would be together rooted and built up in the Lord, that we would be established in the faith and walking in Christ. Verse 6, as ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That's what God wants for us. And folks, that's what we ought to desire too. And within this particular passage of scripture, Paul gives some... I would say basic principles that are necessary if we are to remain rooted and built up, if we are to remain grounded in Christ. And the first principle that I want to point out to you is that you and I need Christian unity and fellowship. Amen. Look at verse number two. <clears throat> he says that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. He's speaking about these Christians in Colossae and in Laodicea and in all of that region right around there, the people that he hasn't met, hasn't had the opportunity to influence. He says, listen, I, I, here's what I desire for you. I want the brethren in these places 
to be knit together, to be unified together in love. Isn't it interesting that he didn't start off by encouraging them to go out and get some kind of an advanced degree in apologetics? You know, if you want to remain faithful to the truth, what you need to know is how to defend your faith and the best arguments against all the error that's out there. Now listen to me. I am not against any of that. I believe that we ought to be ready with an answer to those who want to challenge our faith. I think we ought to know the word of God enough and know truth enough that we're able to defend what we believe and explain it to other people. But that's not the first thing that he says is necessary as far as remaining faithful to the truth. He says, if you really want to remain grounded, built up in him, rooted and built up in him, here's what you need. You need to connect with other Christians. You need to be knit together in love, in that spiritual bond that we have in Christ. You need one another. I think one of the... the uh, consequences of the confused state that we find our world in today is that there is an attitude that's permeated many so-called Bible-believing Christians. This attitude is that I don't necessarily need anyone else in my, my walk with the Lord. I, uh, my relationship with God is personal. It's between me and Him. And therefore, I don't need anyone else in, in that pursuit of God. And I want you to know that your relationship with God is personal and you ought to have a personal, quiet time with the Lord and, and you, it needs to be real and genuine in your own life. But friend, can I tell you that that does not absolve you of the necessity of being assembled together with God's people and in growing in love with one another and for one another? God has designed us to need each other. Hebrews chapter 10, if you go there with me, Hebrews chapter number 10, I know that this is a familiar passage of scripture probably to most of us. One of the reasons it's familiar is because we use it often to talk about our need to be faithful in church attendance. And I know that sometimes people maybe feel like they're even being beat over the head with that. You know, here's Hebrews 10, 25, you need to be in church, don't, don't miss church. But I want you to listen to these words. Uh, beginning in verse number 24 of Hebrews 10, notice he says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Did you notice that within that, we're, we are commanded to assemble together? But he doesn't just say that you need to assemble together so that you can sit under the preaching of the word of God. That's obviously necessary. We know that's true. But he said that we're to assemble together that we might provoke one another Amen. unto love and to good works, that we may exhort one another. This is one reason that I believe that the, 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 the whole phenomenon that we're seeing in our in our society among Christians and churches today, this idea of, you know, live stream online services, uh, it, it, it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, I'm thankful that, you know, we've got quite a few folks today that can't be in church. They're homesick. And I know many of you are watching online. Welcome, by the way. We're glad that you're here. I'm glad you're able to 
be part of the service in some way. And, and I pray that you're, that, that you're able to be fed and able to be helped through this. But I want you to know that there is no substitute for being right here in this place together, gathered together. You know why? Because in a few moments, we're going to dismiss from this place. And, and, and I hope that not everybody just runs off to their cars and goes off to do their own thing. There's going to be something that, that takes place after we dismiss here that is every bit as much important as the preaching of the Word of God in this place, and that is the fellowship of the brethren, the exhorting one another, the building up of each other, the encouragement. And I'm not talking about, you know, hey, let's stand around and talk about sports for the next 15 minutes. I, and not, I'm not against that, but what I'm saying is that, that we ought to be encouraging each other in our faith, that we ought to be able to identify when someone is maybe discouraged or struggling and try and build them up and help them and, and pray with them, pray for them and challenge them to grow in the Lord. We need each other, folks. We need each other. Whether you think you do or not, you need the brethren, and so do I. We need this to help keep us grounded, to keep us where we need to be. I was talking with someone yesterday just about the fact that as much as we may not like to admit it, we all are subject to the influence of other people. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me, and I, I joke with my wife, people uh, joke with my wife, because I, uh, we lived for several years, the first few years of our marriage and then the last uh, I guess five or six years, we lived in North Dakota, Minnesota, kind of right on the border there. And she has, in some of the words that she pronounces, she has a North Dakota, Minnesota accent. Here's the thing I joke with her about. I was raised in the north in Wisconsin. She wasn't. She was raised in northwest Kansas, all right? She's a country girl from the middle of nowhere out on the plains. And somehow she's out there, oh, don't you know, we're going to go out and about in a boat. You know, it's just, she's got, she's got that, a little bit of that. Why does she have that? Well, because we lived there a while, and you know what happens after you live somewhere for a while? You start to kind of pick up on the way other people talk. Why is that? Because we're subject to influence. We're constantly around input. Things are being fed to us, and whether consciously or subconsciously, those things begin to affect us and even rub off on us. It's why the Bible says in Proverbs 13 and verse 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You need to watch the company that you keep because it matters and it will affect you. And there ought to be no better influence, no greater influence in your life than the fellowship of God's people, godly people who love the Lord and who love you and want to help you and encourage you to know and walk with the Lord. You need each other. We need each other. The Bible says in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15 that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We need this place. We need each other. We need to be united together. Verse 2 again in Colossians 2 that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. Second principle, not only do we need Christian unity and fellowship, but we need confidence in the person of Jesus Christ, in who he is. And I want to show you this. It says that, that their hearts being knit together in love, the second half of verse 2, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding 
to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about what a mystery is in the Bible. In the New Testament, you find that word mystery several times. And it doesn't refer to, you know, some, something that you don't understand that you've got to, you know, try and solve the riddle, solve the puzzle and figure this out. A mystery, biblically speaking, is something that was previously not understood, but now in these later times has been revealed. The last one we talked about was Christ in you, the hope of glory, the indwelling Holy Spirit was something that Old Testament saints didn't understand, but where we are today, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Well, now he's talking about another mystery. This is the mystery of God. In another place, it is called the mystery of godliness. You know what it is? That Christ is God. I want you to hold your place here in Colossians. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And verse number 16. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, here's what it says. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Colossians 2 calls it the mystery of God. Colossians 3.16, the mystery of godliness. Listen to this. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Here's the mystery. The thing that wasn't necessarily fully understood in Old Testament times, but now in these New Testament days that we live, the thing that has been revealed to us is that the Messiah would come not just as a, an earthly man who would be king, but that the Messiah would actually be God incarnate. God coming to earth, taking on flesh. It is the Christmas season, that time of December, that that's something that we talk about. Now, we ought to talk about it all year long, really, but the, the reality that God came and became man. This is something that was not previously understood, but now it is understood, and here's why it's important, because the, the Jesus that we know, that we worship, and that we follow is God. He is not a created being. He's not equal, as some would say, with, with Satan, you know, the, the brothers who were created, basically. One is good, one is evil. There are a lot of false ideas about there, or out there about Jesus and who he is. But it's important that you know who Jesus is. It is important that you know who Jesus is. There are some doctrines that are absolutely foundational to our Christian life. One would be the inerrancy of the Bible, right? The, 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 this book that we hold in our hands, it is the very word of God that we can believe it, we can trust it, we ought to obey it. This is foundational because, after all, if this is our rule for faith and practice, we better know what it says, we better be able to believe it and trust it, right? That, that'd be one of them. Um, obviously, salvation by grace through faith. All of these things are foundational. They're uh, they're really non-negotiable. But in your life, in your Christian walk, as you strive to, to be rooted and built up in Him, in Christ, it is absolutely crucial that you know who Jesus is. That, that you are absolutely convinced and confident 
that Jesus is more than just a good man. He's more than just the Son of God. He is God. Do you remember that after the resurrection, uh, Jesus had appeared to the apostles, at least some of them. Judas was obviously gone. Thomas was not there. And, and those who were there and saw Jesus, they came and they told Thomas, hey, we saw Jesus. He's risen again. You remember what Thomas said? He said, well, unless I can uh, put my hand, my fingers, you know, in, in his side, unless I can see the print of the nails, I won't believe. And then Jesus reveals himself to him again, reveals himself to, to Thomas, and he basically says, here, Thomas, you know, go ahead. Stick your, stick your finger in my side. You can see that it's me. Do you remember what Thomas said to him? He said, my Lord and my God. It was like for the first time this realization had come over Thomas. Uh, Jesus is not just sent from God. He is God. Listen, this is so important and so foundational. And I know that to many of us who have been in a Bible-believing church for a long time, it may seem as though this is not that important, but it is. And that's why so many false religions miss this. Satan is good at deceiving people. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you're not confident in his person and who he really is, how are you going to be rooted and built up in him? John said in, in uh, the epistle of 1 John that the spirit of Antichrist is anyone who confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Anyone who doesn't confess that he is the Son of God, if you don't know him, if you're not confident in who he is, you're not going to be grounded in him. Why? We're in Colossians 2. Look at verse number 3. It says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here is why it's so important that you know and are convinced of who Jesus is. Because everything you need to know is found in him. Amen. Everything you need is found in Christ. Why is it that false teachings, strange doctrines, worldly philosophies, why are they so prevalent? Because everybody is looking for something that they can cling to, something they can believe in, and something that they can live for. And so when you're looking for truth, you may find it in the wrong place. I mean, you're not really finding truth, but you understand what I'm saying. You might, you might go looking for truth and find something that sounds good. What does he say in verse number four? And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. I don't want you to be swayed away from the truth because some smooth talker comes along and convinces you that their cause, that their philosophy is worth following. What you need to know is everything you need is found in Christ. I find it interesting in our hymnal, uh, there's a song. I don't know that it's ever been sung here before. Uh, it's, it's not a real common song in a lot of churches. Uh, if you have a hymnal, it's 523, I believe. And, and the song is called A Flag to Follow. And I don't know if you've ever heard this song before or not, but I just want to read to you the verses 
of the song. And tell me if this sounds familiar to you uh, of, of the condition of our world today, especially of young people, young adults, who are looking for something to live for. It says, I sought a flag to follow, a cause for which to stand. I sought a valiant leader who could my love command. I sought a stirring challenge, some noble work to try, to give my life fulfillment, my dreams to satisfy. Verse 2, I sought a ringing answer for all my doubts inside, a torch of truth up uplifted, my searching steps to guide. I sought a word of wisdom, a true authority. I sought to know life's purpose, to solve its mystery. Verse 3, I sought for satisfaction, for yearning deep within. I sought for full deliverance from chains of guilt and sin. I sought for peace and pardon, for freedom from my fears. I sought a hope to cling to beyond these passing years. Does that sound familiar to you? People that are championing, championing causes. Why is it that there are, there are all these groups out there that are just so adamant about things? And I don't care what it is. Social justice, climate change, uh, anti-war movements, or whatever it is, anti-government movements, whatever the thing might be, there are people that are just they're looking for something to cling to. They're looking for a leader who can be their spokesperson, who can be their voice. They want to have a reason to live. They want to have a purpose in life. They want to have a, 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 a belief, a philosophy, a cause that's worth living for. But I love the chorus of this song. It's so simple. I found them all in Jesus. The life, the truth, the way. Beneath his flag I'll take my stand and follow him today. And folks, listen, I want you to know whatever it is that you might be looking for, young people, you're looking for something. What can I live for? What is, what is worth giving my life for and living my life for? Years ago, there was, a, I, I think, an idea in this country that, that uh, especially among young people, especially among young men, that if I give my life in sacrifice for my nation, this, 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 this last bastion of, of freedom and liberty upon this earth, that that would be something worth dying for, worth giving my life for. I'm sad, honestly, that that's something that seems to have been lost uh, uh, in recent generations, uh, a, a willingness to, to pay the ultimate price for freedom. I'm thankful for those who are willing to do that. But there seemed to be this time where that was something that was championed. You know, uh, live your life for something. Go and serve your country. Live for a purpose. And friend, while that is noble and it's good and necessary, I want you to know there is no greater cause to live for than the cause of Christ. No greater cause. Nothing in this world. No greater person to live for than Jesus and Jesus alone. And in him, you will find everything you need. I think this is something that oftentimes what we would refer to sometimes as second generation Christians. Those who are raised in church and, 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 and grow up, you know, believing right things from the time. They're taught right things from the time they're just little. This is something that many of us have struggled with over the years. How do I really know that the things that I believe are because they're truth? How do I know that it's not just because... Uh, that's what's comfortable. That's what's familiar. You know, that's what I was told or taught. And I, I've known many that have really struggled with this. And, 
And, and, and, and young people, can I just say to you today, if you're struggling with that, how do I really know that Jesus is who he says he is or, or, or that the Bible is true? How do I really know that I'm not just following this because it's what I've been taught? I want you to know, you can look all over the world. You will never find someone or something that is worth pursuing like Jesus is. Amen. He is everything you need. Look at verse number 10. He says, ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. Jesus is everything you need. And he's the only thing you need. Jesus is everything. So you need to be assured and confident in who he is. There's your answer. Jesus, follow him. All right, so you need Christian unity and fellowship. You need confidence in the person of Jesus. And then lastly and quickly, you need, if you're going to be rooted and built up in him, you need a strong personal walk with God. Look at verse number seven, or six rather. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. You see, you need to walk with the Lord. And Stay in fellowship with Him. Your completeness, your purpose, your resolution needs to be in Him. That every moment of every day that you're in fellowship with God, walking with Him, and making it your daily priority to establish or to establish your faith. This is absolutely non-negotiable. You need the church. You need God's people. But you don't need us like you need Him. And you need daily to walk with the Lord. Listen, friend, you cannot borrow my walk with God. You can't live your life depending on what pastor said. You can't follow my faith and expect that that's going to be enough. Now, you ought to follow the faith of those that God puts in your life. We're told that, Hebrews 13, whose faith follow, right? Considering the end of their conversation. You ought to follow the leaders that God has put in your life and certainly a pastor is there for that reason to set the example. Uh, a, a godly parent, young people, is there to set the example. But you cannot live off of my faith or your parents' faith or, 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 or some teacher or some godly friend. You need to know God and walk with him yourself. You must know the Lord. You ought to be daily in his word, reading, studying, seeking, not just because it's a chore for a Christian, a daily discipline that you need to do. Why, why do you need to put your nose in this book every day? Because you need to seek him and know him. You need to know God for yourself. You ought to be faithful every day in praying and talking to God. Why? Because you're... Faith needs to not just be outward ritual. It needs to be real and genuine and a sincere relationship with God. You need to walk in Him. As ye, therefore, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Friend, I want you to be rooted and built up in Christ. I, I desire that for myself, for my wife and my children, for our family, for this church as a whole, and for you 
as individuals, I want you to be rooted and built up in Christ. I, I, I fear, really, to some degree, the philosophies of the world that would seek to destroy and tear down. Folks, we're in a battle. We're in a war against an enemy that we can't see, but he's very real. And sadly, in this war, there are casualties. I've seen them, you've seen them, and it's tragic. And I don't want to be one of them, and I don't want you to be one of them. Ephesians 6 talks about that, right? Putting on the armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. How do we do that? Well, we need to recognize that we need one another. We need each other. Listen, Satan loves to divide among God's people over the pettiest things. We need to remember, you know what? I need the brethren. I need the church. We need one another. We need to be absolutely assured and confident in Jesus, in who he is, and pursuing him. And we need to strive daily to have a personal walk with God that we may be rooted and built up in him.